Claire, and you're listening to the Mother Love Podcast, a show where we talk about the journey of parenting. This is a space where guests open their hearts, gather their courage, and tell the truth about what it means to care for these messy and delightful little ones in today's big, wide, and often overwhelming world. We talk about the pressures, the steep learning curves, and the bittersweet reality of watching our children grow. Parenting asks us to be willing to feel it all, celebration and grief, joy and anguish, fear and courage. So take a breath, let these stories wash over you, and show yourself a little love. Hey all, it's Mother Love host Claire here, and I just wanted to take a moment as we're entering into kind of the peak of holiday season to have an opportunity to share a little bit about this organization who I have the privilege of working for and some of the programs that we are able to offer that I just believe in with my whole heart. The reason I wanted to take a second and do this today is I know that it is kind of right in the middle of a season of generosity when there are people who feel like they want to share some of their resources and donate to a cause which maybe means something to them or moves them or they just see as really important and worth getting behind. And so in doing that today, I get to talk about some of my favorite parts of Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies and how I think that just some of the things that we're able to do on our team are really helpful and vital. And I know that because I've been a mom. If you've listened to this show at all, you know I've been a mom and I've had some hard times. And many of our guests have expressed that that is common for them as well. And so in being able to talk about some of these things that we offer, I just hope that people might feel inspired to give back in whatever way that looks like for them. So some of my favorite projects that we have, and we do have a lot of programs, and I don't have time to talk about all of them today, but one that really stands out is our um, Essentials for Babies program. This is a program that exists to help parents who are maybe navigating a difficult time and don't have the resources to provide a safe place to sleep or a safe car seat for their baby. And so this program connects families with resources through their local public health services and support services within their own communities to be able to have either a brand new pack and play with a sleep sack and a sheet that fits. And it can just bring such peace of mind to families who are feeling like maybe they don't have a safe enough place for their baby to sleep. We all know what it feels like to be nervous about getting the sleep thing right with our infants. So this is really helpful. Also, we have our safe seat for baby program, which similarly provides safe car seats that are, you know, brand new, in perfect condition. They're installed by a technician who knows how to how to properly install them so that everything is safe. And we've just found that this program does a few things. It provides families with these essential items. It also gives the parents a confidence boost, which they may be lacking if they are going through a really hard time. And it also connects families to resources within their local community because the car seats and the pack and plays are distributed by either public health kind of hubs or places where we know um, trusted people are working every day to provide for families. So it's been a really wonderful program. We've been doing that for years. We get all kinds of powerful feedback on how it's helping families all the time. And we all just, you know, cry about all the time because we're a bunch of softies working here. (laughs) And then we also have our lifts project. So I'm just going to talk about three main. So essentials for babies. We also have our lifts project. Lift stands for linking infants and families to supports. And this project is comprised of a couple of things. One is our lifts online resource guide, which is the first statewide resource guide in Montana that provides lists that are community specific of resources that might be available like OBGYNs, mental health providers, you know, lactation support, uh, any kind of public health service that exists for families. And it just, um, it really is meant to be kind of a catch-all for all of the resources across the state that when people are needing to quickly find what they need, they can go there and find it. So that is um, connected to our website. You can go to hmhb-mt.org. And if you want to go directly to the resource guide, that is hmhb-mt.org. 
L-I-F-T-S.org. And you will find there the whole entire guide. We also have a magazine that goes along with that. It's an annual magazine where contributors share their stories. And it's a lot like Mother Love, but in print. Um, And there are beautiful opportunities to connect with those stories and just kind of get a visual treat if you are a print nerd like I am. Um, So you can find those, you know, at hospitals, in some provider offices, sometimes they're sprinkled around libraries, or we have a digital Lifts magazine publication that you can also go to, um, which is on the HMHB website. And then lastly, of course, Mother Love. Mother Love, this podcast is everything to me. The words and stories that are shared here, the advice, the wisdom that is shared here by some of our practitioners who have come on the show, it just is so valuable. And I think that it can help. And I know that it has helped a lot of parents and families and moms who have needed to find permission to feel what they're feeling. So just if you are someone who is has been moved by the show or has been um, somehow touched, like even just sharing it out is a wonderful thing to do. That would be, we would consider that for sure, a donation of your time. Um, If you know anyone who would like to share their story, that would be great. If you'd like to share your story, that is also a huge donation. Or if you have someone who wants to financially support Mother Love and HMHB as a whole, um, you can go to our website, which is just HMHB mt.org and at the top there's a donate tab just click on that and it's super easy from there so thank you always just for being a part of our community and i hope you enjoyed this episode happy holidays i'm here with john morrison today and i'm really excited to talk to him because you'll hear in a moment why i'm so excited to talk to him but just want to say hello and thank you for being here john thanks claire thanks for having me yeah so we were so excited to learn here at healthy mothers healthy babies that we received this huge out of the blue donation um and i'm just going to read a little snippet about it so that i get all the little pieces of it correct so john morrison is making this donation and it's through a settlement of monies from a legal case he filed and won on behalf of more than 2,600 Montana businesses. Morrison proposed and the district court judge Leslie Halligan approved a $50,000 contribution to Healthy Mothers Healthy Babies. Healthy Mothers Healthy Babies mission is one that resonates with the core of this case, which is protecting the health of mothers, children, and families. So you can imagine when that news came into our teeny tiny little organization, how excited we are. I think we all cried, all of us, in the staff meeting where we found that out. (laughs) That's wonderful. So I would love to know a little bit more about the behind the scenes of how we got so fortunate and kind of what took place to lead up to that donation. Well, this was a class action case, and one of the things that happens in almost every class action is uh, after the money is distributed to the class members that's recovered in a settlement or judgment, there are some uh, amounts of money that are not claimed. Uh, So there's always a residual, and the law provides that uh, some of that uh, can go to nonprofit organizations that bear some relationship to the subject matter of the case. In this case, it was about uh, health insurance and these small businesses being overcharged for health insurance. And so uh, health-related organizations were good targets for what we call the Cypre uh, Award, that is the distribution of the residual money. Uh, And um, I've long known about the great work that Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies does, and you know that we've worked together in the past. Uh, In 2019, we uh, worked together on a celebration of the 10-year anniversary of Healthy Montana Kids. Mm -hmm. And I've just uh, been a big supporter of Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies. And uh, so we proposed this organization as one of the recipients of those Cypre funds. And uh, Judge Leslie Halligan in Missoula, uh, who was the judge, um, agreed with our proposal. And uh, that's how the funds came your way. 
Yeah, it's so it's so exciting because, well, one thing that I'll just share is that one of our favorite programs at HMHB is our Safe Sleep and Safe Seats program, which we get to help distribute car seats and pack and plays to different public health organizations or local organizations that work directly with families which is something I learned about when I started here. It's really a cool kind of a strategy because rather than just sending them right to the families, which would also be great, it's this opportunity for families to come in and kind of build a trusting relationship with someone at WIC or someone at their public health department, which then they can learn about other resources that might be helpful as well. So that's been a really cool program. And we were kind of stressing a little bit because since COVID, the demand has has really gone up for that program and so we when we received this donation we kind of all like got to exhale and be like okay we like we know now that we'll be able to continue to meet this demand and it was that's I think part of why we were all so emotional about it I'm so happy to hear that yeah yeah it's really wonderful so thank you from all of us and beyond behalf of all the families and providers that benefit it's going to be wonderful to have that of course. Well, um, you know, these organizations um, like yours only work when we all sort of put our shoulder to the wheel and pitch in where we can. And, uh, you know, I've served uh, on the boards of other organizations. My sister runs a nonprofit and I fully get the fact that it takes um you know, a lot of people pitching in in order to make it work. And um, we're just um, happy to be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. And so that was kind of a natural segue into, I really wanted you to share with listeners today more about the background and the history of Healthy Montana Kids, because when we spoke earlier, I didn't know about all of that history. And it's, it's just really cool to learn because it's sort of one of those like tipping the scales from one thing over to another in terms of funding sort of like this, similarly to this donation. Healthy Montana Kids came out of I-155, which was on the ballot in 2008. And for many years in Montana, there had been debates in the legislature about whether to expand the children's health insurance program. And those had sort of wound up going nowhere. At the same time, we knew that the people of Montana were very much in favor of that. Uh, And so we put together a program that puts the Children's Health Insurance Program and Medicaid for children behind a single storefront, which eliminates some of the stigma associated with Medicaid and puts all the kids in the same type of situation as far as being able to get coverage that allows them to get to a doctor. Uh, And uh, we removed the asset test, which was a big barrier for a lot of Mm -hmm. people. And we increased the ceiling on eligibility to 250% of the federal poverty level. It was 165%. And all these years, the legislature had debated whether to increase it to 175. But I-155 increased it to 250, which basically made it possible for all the kids in Montana, one way or another, to get health insurance. Mm -hmm. And now over half the kids in Montana have coverage through Healthy Montana Kids, and we significantly reduced the overall uninsured rate uh, for children by expanding their eligibility in both CHIP and Medicaid. Uh, I think about 60 or 70,000 additional children uh, got coverage as a result of that. It was on the ballot in 2008, and it passed by a margin of 70 to 30. There were no new taxes associated with that program, but it provided that taxes that the state was already getting from insurance premiums would be channeled uh, into a special revenue account, a portion of them, in order to fund this uh, new initiative to expand these programs and put them behind a single healthy Montana kids storefront. And then it would draw down from the federal government matching funds, uh, which was about a three to one match in chip and a two to one match in Medicaid. And now as a result of I-155 and healthy Montana kids, by channeling some of those premium tax dollars over here to the special revenue account, we've drawn down uh, just about a billion dollars 
in federal matching funds that has come into Montana goes to provide health care in the state and create jobs in the healthcare space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not only been good for kids' health, but it's been good for the Montana economy. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and, and then did you mention, too, that that was kind of something that became a model for other states as well? Or have you heard of other states doing similar things to that? Was that kind of a novel idea? Well, we sort of patterned uh, what we did off of what they call Badger Care in Wisconsin. Okay. We wanted to create a, a kind of a storefront that didn't sound so government-y. Yeah. Um, and it was something that people could welcome into their homes and be proud to be a part of. And uh, I think we succeeded in that in, in that way. Uh, Healthy Montana Kids has been something that other states have looked at uh, and uh, I think done similar similar things but I'm not yeah. an expert on that so yeah. I'll leave that there. Yeah. Yeah, and then just to kind of bring that home a little bit, you know, I think that when we talk about healthy mothers and healthy babies and what we're really what we're really getting at at this organization is is talking about how not only healthy mothers but now starting to look at the dad's role too and just the family as a whole like it it matters that the parents mental health is okay and and that is something that I've experienced and that friends have experienced in, in a rough patch when you like wake up in the middle of the night and your baby is coughing and it sounds awful and you're like, man, we need to take them to urgent care tomorrow for sure. But like, can we afford it? Can we not? You know, just like those moments are so stressful and so sad and, you know, there's shame and guilt connected to having to make those calls that I think that when we're talking about like the mental health crisis that's happening, especially for parents and new parents with lack of resources and things like that, it's just important to think about how having adequate insurance and coverage, you don't have to make those calls. And that's a big, it's a huge deal. Yep. That's a question that no parent should have to ask themselves. No parent should have to say, my child needs to see the doctor, but can I afford it? Uh, And more importantly, no child uh, should be kept away from seeing a doctor when they need it Mm -hmm. just because of uh, whatever the financial circumstances are of the household that they live in. Right. Yeah. It's not their fault. Right. Uh, and not to say that it's the parents' fault either, because, uh, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Mm-hmm. But I think you're, you're on to a very important point, which is that from a standpoint of making sure that people get basic health care when their welfare and what livelihood, their, their personal well-being depends on it, mm-hmm. uh, but also the kind of connection with mental health and the role that financial stress plays in creating mental health problems. And we know that that one of the very biggest stressors today is uh, the stress that comes from medical bills. Yeah. It's a leading cause of personal bankruptcy. Yeah. And it has been for a long time. Well, thanks for doing something for our state. Well, it it, um, was... A pleasure and a privilege for me to be a part of it, but uh, you know, it was uh, certainly a team effort uh, to get the thing passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of people uh, who contributed and who uh, collected signatures and who campaigned in communities and editorial pieces in the newspaper, and all of that was part of the um, result uh, on election night in 2008. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then switching gears just a little bit, because one thing I do on Mother Love is always ask parents about different things that have to do with their own parenting experience and history and style. So remind me, your kids are how old now? Uh, We have uh, two daughters. Mm -hmm. One is 29 and one is 26. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I love talking about them. Yeah. Okay, good. What are they doing these days? Uh, Allison, uh, who uh, both of them grew up in, uh, both of them were born in Helena and grew up in Helena, uh, attending Title I schools here. And Allison graduated from Helena High in 2012. Amanda uh, received uh, something called the Cook Scholarship that is a Montana scholarship to a school back east when she was in the 10th grade and she went back and finished high school at a place called St. Paul's. And, uh, they, uh, you know, went through college and, and now are 
moving along in their early careers. Um, Allison lives in Austin, Texas, and she has uh, worked for Facebook uh, or Meta for several years. Uh, she just launched uh, her own app called Rally. Oh, cool. Uh, Let'sRally.com. And um, it's uh, sort of like a dating app for people who want to find training partners for athletics. Oh, wow. So uh, whether it's uh, somebody to run with or bike with or somebody to play tennis with or uh, train for triathlon or whatever, you can go on to Let's Rally. You can put in your information and then you can find somebody you know, in your age group, in your community, who maybe has a similar training goals that you can get together with and, and do your sport with. Oh, cool. Um, and so uh, she's working on that. Just got engaged. Hey, okay. um, congratulations. And, thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, our uh, younger daughter lives in Brooklyn and works in Manhattan. And she is the, uh, she's the, deve- let's see, director of <laughs> film and television development uh, for Little Monster Films, which is. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. That's a film company that made, uh, most famously made Free Solo, which won the Academy Award for Best Documentary. And uh, their first narrative is just coming out now, which is. Is the um, by narrative what that means you know is a scripted show with actors mm-hmm. and it's the new show with uh, uh, Jodie Foster and Annette Benning about the woman who swam uh, from Florida to Cuba oh yeah. okay yeah cool and um, I think I think it's Florida to Cuba yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seen the show yet but uh, Nyad it's yeah. called yeah oh cool about Diane Nyad that's amazing and um, so Amanda initially worked as uh, as an assistant associate producer or assistant producer of a show that was on Netflix last year called Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. Okay. And she spent the better part of a year down in Southern Utah making this um, series that was on Netflix about the fundamentalist Mormons and focusing on women who had left the sect, uh, talking about, you know, what it was like. Yeah. Uh, And and then after she finished that project, she went to work for Little Monster. Yeah. Oh, how cool. Were there okay? So I have I have a funny question because my kids are ten and eight. I often, you know, since they were babies with their different personalities, you're always trying to kind of forecast. Like, I wonder what they'll be when they grow up, right? So when your when your girls were little, did they have things that they were really into, like as kids that you can now look back and see, like, oh, okay. You know, uh, that's a really Good question. And uh, if I think back about about that subject, I'm not <laughs> sure that they really said, I want to be a such and such. Right. Now, a lot of kids do that. Yeah. But um, they just sort of took it one day at a time, I think, you know. Yeah. They really enjoyed school. Yeah. And they enjoyed sports. Yeah. Um, and. But like did the rally app one really was she really into sports and was you're I'm forgetting which is which now but the movie involved one was really into like plays or movies or you know creating like at home stories and things like yeah, that yeah so they they both did some Grand Street okay uh, they both did some uh, ballet mm-hmm. um, Amanda um, had to choose when she was in the eighth grade between soccer and, and ballet to concentrate on going forward. And she chose ballet. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a very hard decision for her because she loved soccer, too. Yeah. And um, she went deep dive into ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, Allison uh, went deep dive into gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And then she uh, later uh, was a track and field athlete. And that carried on through college. They both carried on through those sports through college. So oh, cool. Amanda did um, dance in uh, college. And Allison did track and field in college. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, great. I just always, it's so funny. It's like, not so much like what I want to be, because we've been through the whole, you know, violin player, astronaut, all the different like things. But now I'm sort of seeing their personalities play out. And, and you, I'm feeling like I'm getting a better sense of like how they're unfolding into interests that seem more a little bit permanent, I guess. (laughs) Than when they're toddlers and trying on fireman outfits or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's interesting, and I, 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 I should reflect on that a little more. Um, you know, I'm a lawyer, and my uh, mom and dad are both lawyers. My mom went to law school at uh, when I was in high school, 
So she was at home for 18 years, and then she went to law school when That's she was 40. Um, and uh, they both wound up being uh, lawyers. And my dad's dad is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got cousins who are lawyers. And so there's a lot of lawyers in our family. Yeah. Uh, but I never heard our daughter say, <laughs> I want to be a lawyer. Although the younger one is actually uh, studying for the LSAT right now. But, oh, cool. Um, the... Um, uh, not only did they not talk about kind of the family business, so uh-huh. to speak, but they, they didn't really, didn't really say, I'm going to do that. Yeah. They just they took it one step at a time. And yeah. I think they still do that. Yeah. That's neat. Okay. So when you were a kid then, and you had, you were surrounded by lawyers and folks in your house who would talk about issues pertaining to the law and local politics and things. Did you have siblings? Um, I, I do. I have a sister who's seven years younger than me. Okay. And uh, when I came up, uh, you know, as a, meaning, uh, you know, when I was growing up, uh-huh. uh, you know, our conversation at the dinner table was, as you say, all about, you know, law and policy and things like that. And I don't think I ever really considered doing anything other than uh, law and policy and um you know, maybe writing, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but Betsy, my sister came along and she, uh, got involved in children's theater. And, um, from that moment forward, she was theater all the way. And she spent her career in that. And yeah. she was a professional actor, um, around the country and in New York and then came back uh, to Whitefish and formed a professional acting company there called Alpine Theater Project. Cool. And then they branched into uh, providing um, children's theater as well Mm -hmm. called Alpine Kids Theater Project. Yeah. And uh, they provide theater experience for a a couple hundred children every year. Oh, that's neat. Um, Both at the kind of grade and middle school level uh, and then separately at the high school level. Yeah. They do, I think they do, uh, the younger kids in the fall and the uh, high school kids in the spring. Mm-hmm. And um, that's become a, you know, a great asset for the Flathead Valley. Yeah, that's where I grew up. So I'm happy to hear that that's happening. Me too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. I don't think I knew that. Where in the valley? In Kalispell. Okay. My whole, you know, family and family forever has been there. But nice. We'll play the name game outside of the podcast. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. But anyway. Okay. Well, then... You know, I was curious to see, did you, did you become involved in speech and debate and things like in high school, sort of similar to your sister that she launched into theater and acting? Did that, did you just continue to pursue sort of more and more? Yeah, I did. I was also involved in sports um, and uh, in, in, in Whitefish, uh, when I grew up, uh, there wasn't really particularly at the age that I was, there wasn't really an opportunity for speech and debate and that sort of thing. There might have been a debate team in high school, but then I, when mom went back to law school, I, I, we moved to Missoula mm-hmm. and I went to Hellgate mm-hmm. uh, and I initially played football and then uh, ran cross country because I didn't have enough meat on my bones at that <laughs> point to, to be double A football. Uh, and in the spring I did track, but I also did debate mm-hmm. and, uh, I, uh, was really bad when I started mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the more I did it, the better I got yeah. at it. And, um, you know, then wound up doing that in college and, you know, had lots of good friendships and, uh, successes and good experiences in that field. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. I just always like to trace back and see where did this all start? Um, Especially, I think, just having still pretty young kids myself. It's always interesting to talk to people kind of on the other side and say, like, hey, can you trace this back? Am I able to predict the future? Right. If I if I if I was to (laughs) say one thing to kids from my experience in debate, it is just because you're really bad at something when you start doing it. Yeah. Doesn't mean you should give up. Because sometimes you get the hang of it and and then you can get pretty good. And that's a particular kind of um, commitment because I, I feel like if you're really <laughs> bad at that and you have to lose like individually just you and another person on a whole stage full of people, like the pressure of that, you know, if you continue to persevere in that situation, it's a little bit different than like losing a soccer game as a team and kind of reflecting and being like, okay, what can we do better? That's a lot of sort of self-reflection and having to go on. 
I never cease to be amazed at the stories from kind of superstars, Mm -hmm. particularly athletes, Mm -hmm. but also performers, you know, uh, who talk about, you know, the challenges they had when they were starting Mm -hmm. and their coaches who comment and say, you know, that person was the hardest working person I ever had on my team. And you think, wow, with all that talent, they still worked harder than all the people who had the had less talent, you know, or maybe they had less talent and through hard work, they developed that and got better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even as parents, you know, we, we tend to have like failures here and there. And I know I can be really hard on myself about like, Oh, mom fail, you know, hashtag mom fail. We hear that a lot of like, Oh, something happened this morning and -and so-and-so was late for school and it was a disaster. And I just drove away being like, what am I doing? You know? And I think even it just does grow our capacity all the time to have to sort of gather ourselves up and keep going. And that's something with parenting where you can't be like, well, maybe I wasn't cut out for soccer or (laughs) debate. Like you just have to keep going. And I found that that's been one of the most overwhelming parts of parenting for me is like, there is no quitting. There is no, you just have that you have no choice, but to try to just keep doing your best. Absolutely. And a lot of the times when we feel as parents, like we didn't, to do something right. Well, there is no one right way. Mm-hmm. And the process is built by nature to withstand, uh, you know, all kinds of ways that we are showing our humanity. Sometimes, sometimes we do that better than others, but um, uh, kids are fairly resilient. And if you keep coming back, you know, um, as a parent uh, with love and discipline uh, in, you know, good measure, I think that uh, you wind up with a pretty good result. Mm-hmm. When when our kids were little, there was um, a family in town that had uh, some kids that were uh, probably seven or eight years older, 10 years older, and they were all really impressive young people. And I uh, asked the dad one time, you know, how do you do it? What's mm-hmm. your advice? And he said, equal parts, love and discipline, mm-hmm. equal parts, love and discipline. And it was a simple mantra, but it was one that kept coming back to me as a parent. Yeah. It's the, it's so hard. It's so hard. And my kids, you know, my kids will try to wear me down when it comes to discipline. Like, Oh, you're so mean and you're so this. And so that like you, they plant the seed of doubt of like, am I loving, am I being loving? But you have to just keep, But, you know, we had a talk the other night, my Kyla and I, just about, you know, here's the thing. I know it seems harsh and I know this and I know that. But when I was growing up, I didn't have enough rules and enough boundaries. And because it was left up to me, I ended up in some really bad situations. And I don't want that for you. And I think it is that part of like love, discipline, and then kind of like a humility and showing our kids, you know, like here's the deal. Here's the big picture. And like, I'm not going to do this perfectly, but I know enough to not totally let you call all the shots, you know? And it's just, it's being able, I've learned like as they get older to have these real honest conversations with them. Um, well that, said, that Claire. Really helps. Sounds yeah. like you're doing a good job. Oh, well, thanks. Are you, <laughs> that's, that's on a good day, but yeah. So Another thing that I wanted to ask you about, John, is like when we talked before, one of the things that really struck me is there is in the healthcare realm, I know at least, there is kind of a movement happening that has to do with people being honored for their lived experience as experts. Um, in, and more than ever, it seems like we are consulting people who've been in different situations and have different stories who are kind of like, quote unquote, maybe underdogs in the system or in society. And now that that is being sort of recognized, systems are being built and programs are being created because as a result of really listening to the people who might need those systems and programs, right? And so I know that you've had some cases where people with their own particular powerful story, they've shown up, they've shown their story, and they've shared with you, and then that becomes a big case or a big long-term thing that changes the lives of so many people. So can you talk about one or two instances where stories have had a huge impact in ways that you've worked with folks? 
Sure. Uh, well, one um, case that falls into that category, I'd say, is um, a case I had for a man from Sydney, Montana, Charlie Butler. And uh, Charlie was a truck driver. And he changed jobs and lost his health insurance. And so he and his wife uh, went online and they uh, bought short-term medical insurance uh, so that he'd have some coverage when he uh, started his new trucking job. And about six months after that, he was diagnosed with cancer and uh, he had to have surgery and submitted the bills to the insurance company and they didn't pay them. And uh, that went on for months and months and months until the end of the short-term medical insurance policy period, which was 11 months. And in the final month when he was still covered, he was diagnosed with metastasis of the cancer to his lungs. And so then he had to undergo expensive chemotherapy that was scheduled to start the next month. And uh, still no payment by the insurance companies. And uh, I got involved at that point. The insurance department got involved. I used to be the insurance commissioner. Mm -hmm. And so the insurance department uh, also went to bat for him. And finally, some bills started getting paid, but they were paid at a very discounted amount. So maybe, you know, on a $1,000 medical bill, maybe they'd pay $300 mm -hmm. and uh, no network agreement. So that left him in debt to the hospital on that $1,000 bill to the tune of $700. And so uh, there were all kinds of problems here. Why weren't the bills being paid? Why was it taking so long? Why, when they eventually paid them, were they just paying 30% of the bill or 40% of the bill? Uh, why was there no network agreement? You know, why was there balanced billing? How is Charlie supposed to deal with this at the time that he's going through chemotherapy? Mm -hmm. And in the process, what we found out was that there were all kinds of problems uh, with this company uh, and its operations. But one of them was that they had adopted a formula, a black box formula for discounting the medical bills. And they were doing it to everybody in America. And when we found that out, we asked the federal court in Billings to certify it as a national class action, which they did. And we moved for judgment in our favor as a matter of law based on what they admitted that they were doing and because it was a violation of the insurance policy contract. And the judge granted that, and we wound up distributing many millions of dollars to 20,000 people across the United States uh, who'd been underpaid for their medical expenses. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of an example of how one guy's story mm -hmm. becomes a larger matter that the court system is able to provide some measure of justice mm -hmm. uh, for a larger number of people. A postscript on that story. Yes. Uh, epilogue on that story that's <laughs> good is that when Charlie's medical bills weren't paid, the people of Sydney, mm -hmm. uh, his friends, his neighbors, people in the church, people around the region, they pitched in mm -hmm. to help him with his medical bills. And they didn't pay all the medical bills, mm -hmm. but they paid a lot of them. And as soon as Charlie recovered from his chemotherapy, he decided that he wanted to pay them back. And he started going to the gym and lifting weights and he became a strong man. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of these guys yeah. that, uh, like lifts big iron balls, yeah. you know, and, um, he, uh, did a fundraiser where they strapped a fire truck to him at the County fair. And he single-handedly pulled this like a bull. He pulled this fire truck, you know, recovering from cancer that had metastasized to his lungs, going through chemotherapy. He comes out of that. They strap him to a fire truck and he pulls it across the fairgrounds and the people, uh, you know, pledged money for that and they raised a lot of money that was able to pay it forward you know to the next people uh, but hopefully uh, you know in the process he also you know did something to remind insurance companies that they got to live by the policy contract and give people the benefit of their bargain yeah 
That's so amazing. Is there a video of him doing that? There I'm is. Curious. It's online. It's on, All right. on YouTube. You I'm can gonna, find it. I'm going to put it in the show notes too so yeah. listeners can watch it because that's in, what an incredible story. Yeah. So how do guys like Charlie find guys like you? Like how, how did he find help for this problem? Because I feel like a lot of people in that situation would have just sort of like thrown up their hands like I don't even know what to do. This is so overwhelming. Well, I think they contacted me because um, I was a lawyer and used to be the insurance commissioner. Mm -hmm. So they figured I knew my way around insurance, yeah. and I, I kind of do. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of what I've done as a lawyer is help people um, deal with insurance issues. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was happy to help. Yeah. We didn't have any idea when we, you know, I when I initially got involved in the case, I thought we were just you know, going to be helping a truck driver from Sydney get his medical bills paid. Right. I had no idea what it was going to turn into. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good reminder of how important one story can be. Yeah. Yes, sure. indeed. Yes. Okay. We're on, we're going to go on to the fun part, which will wrap us up. And that's just the rapid fire questions, which actually this is the first time I'm doing rapid fire questions. It's been something I've been meaning to do with guests for a long time, but I just thought, you know, it's time. So, here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Number one, what are you working on that you're really excited about right now? And I may have a follow-up question to that, but you tell me. Yeah. I'm also working on a lot of other cases. Yeah. Um, some, I, some I can talk about, some I can't. <laughs> uh, but I, I always enjoy working on cases where I can um, you know, help my client and also uh, maybe deal with a, a problem that other people are facing that uh, needs to be solved. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes the courts uh, can find that kind of a solution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my follow-up question is this. I was just talking to someone this morning at coffee and telling them about this interview that I had today. And they said, oh, you should ask him about this optometry thing that's going on in the schools. Do you know anything about this? Oh, yes. Well, um, interesting that you should ask <laughs> that now because um, that had to do with the Butler case. Oh. Uh, when that, that also involved a Cypre award. Mm -hmm. And after we distributed uh, money to 20,000 Americans in the case, there was uh, also some residual money. And um, we uh, donated half of that to the... Um, uh, Breast Cancer Research Foundation, um, which paid for three additional research scientists on breast cancer metastasis this year. Cool. Um, and the other half we donated to the Mountain Health Co-op to create what's called the Little Peeps Program. Mm -hmm. And that is just in its first uh, year now, first few months really, and they are going around the state to schools and identifying kids that need vision examinations and glasses and providing both of those to the kids uh, or providing vouchers to them so that they can get them from a local optometrist. And so, you know, they have the data, but there's a tremendous number of kids who run into challenges in school, especially kind of around third, fourth, fifth grade because they can't see the blackboard yep. and they don't really know, even know what's happening to them yet. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they come from families that don't have the financial means to access optometry services and glasses. Glasses are expensive these days. Yeah. And so this program comes in and tries to solve that problem. And uh, we're hoping, uh, projecting that there will be thousands of kids who receive free eye exams and, um, and hundreds, if not thousands, of kids who get free glasses. I love that so much. Thanks. I, yeah. re I remember as a kid um, when other kids in my class would show up with glasses and they would be like, you know, it was a whole new world for them. But like you said, it's, like, it's the water we swim in, right? Like they just didn't know that they couldn't see. Exactly. Um, that's a so, good way to put it. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Well, good. I'm glad someone told me about it and... And that I got to ask about it, because how cool. Okay, this we kind of have already talked about, but I'll go a little further. So the question is, what is something you loved as a kid that you still love now? And like, I have a kiddo who's very justice oriented, like 
you know, if someone's being picked on at recess, she's the first one to show up and make sure that doesn't happen. And at home, everything has to be divided very, very equally, like almost like need a ruler to measure the slice of cake type of a deal. Were you very justice oriented as a kid or did you have other things <laughs> that um, that you really loved as a kid that you love now? Uh, well, I loved sports and uh, I still do. Yeah. So um, I I. I did a lot of running. I, uh, I, I did um, a lot of skiing. I played uh, baseball and football um, and tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still, you know, you, you sort of start losing the opportunity to play baseball and football. But um, <laughs> um, I ran the Boston Marathon in uh, 2018 and 2019. Cool. Um, and uh, still... Um, uh, enjoy running mm-hmm. and I do a lot of mountain biking mm-hmm. and get up to the ski area when I can. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But just justice oriented. Did, were you like that as a kid? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, oh, it's good and it's bad. It's no. a blessing. You, and a you mean like sort of being out there and making sure the other kids are treating each other fairly? <laughs> that, yeah, that's how Kyla is. It's no, it's no. so crazy. And all the teachers will be like, we don't even have to like keep an eye out at recess. Kai's on it. So, um, Well, yeah. I'll tell you, when I was a kid in Whitefish, recess uh, usually either consisted of <laughs> playing football, full contact no pads yeah or uh somebody getting into a fist fight mm-hmm. with somebody else <laughs> yeah and uh you know i remember one time when a teacher said uh okay everybody stand back fair fight uh-huh they don't do that anymore yeah they don't but do that uh anymore. uh yeah kids had a way of uh finding how to deliver justice <laughs> on their own in their own way yeah. back then yeah yeah Okay. Do you watch TV series or are you reading a book right now? Either one works that you're really into. Um, I'm, I'm usually always doing both. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, the, the book that I most recently was reading was Plato's Republic. Oh, actually. Of course. Just Um, a light read before bed. But the, uh, you know, I I read magazines a lot. Um, I read the newspaper and and, um, I read, you know, the Wall Street Journal and I read The Economist and Time Magazine. And, you know, I've got a stack of other books, you know, that, that I pick up and read from time to time. Shows that we watch, we are right in the middle of Night Sky. Okay. Uh, Night Sky is on Amazon, and it stars J.K. Simmons, mm-hmm. who is a friend of mine who oh, cool. uh, lived in Montana and um, went to the University of Montana, was a Big Fork Summer Playhouse guy. Uh, in those days, he was known as Kim Simmons. Oh, now I know who you're talking went about. went on and won yeah. the Academy Award for Whiplash, mm-hmm. the Best Supporting Actor. Um, and uh, he's one of the most recognizable and talented people in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's in this new series with Sissy Spacek mm-hmm. where they're an older couple. Yeah. And um, they have a portal to another dimension and outer space in their backyard in the barn. Oh, cool. And, um, uh, and the series is kind of built around that. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a uh, entertaining watch. Yeah. What a great pair, those two. I think I've seen the trailer for it now that you mention it. Yeah. Okay. With the newspapers real quick before we move on. Are you a print newspaper guy or have you moved to digital newspapers? Well, I read um, a lot of periodical stuff on social media mm-hmm. um, that's f- formatted for social media, which means it's a shorter version. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also subscribe, Kathy and I subscribe to you know, a number of different magazines and Kathy strongly prefers the printed word. I'm um, on her team. And, um, you know, that's where you get a longer article yeah. and a better analysis. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm getting, these aren't rapid cause I'm Claire. Um, <laughs> if, if you could board a plane and travel anywhere in the world tomorrow, like you're climbing on the plane tomorrow morning, where would you go and why? Well, lately I've been very fascinated. That's probably why I was uh, reading The Republic uh, the other day. Again, I read it back in college, but uh, I was reading it again. Lately I've been very fascinated by uh, ancient civilization. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, ancient Greece Mm -hmm. and uh, the area around the Mediterranean. uh, And I I think, um, you know, when I get time 
and I get on a plane to go somewhere again, it might be to go over, you know, to the Greek islands mm-hmm. and, and uh, Turkey and mm-hmm. Egypt and that area in there, Cyprus and, yeah. and, and, you know, go to some of those places where some of those things happen. Yeah. Weirdly, that would be my answer too. However, mine would be more like <laughs> stucco building, beach, sand. Like I'm not like studying anything while I'm there cold drink in hand. I'm not opposed to a cold <laughs> drink on the beach either. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Um, are you an early bird, night owl, or do you burn the candle at both ends? I used to be a night owl. Mm-hmm. I go to sleep earlier now. Um, I generally go to sleep for 11 now. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not a super early bird. I mean, I, I, I have plenty of things that require me to get up at mm-hmm. five or six, but, um, you know, more typically I get up 6 30 or 7 yeah yeah okay great um what is one of your favorite holiday traditions oh i love thanksgiving i love uh you know the feast i love the family mm-hmm. um i love the fall um and i love christmas yeah um, okay you know, favorite thanksgiving dish turkey okay and Fine. mashed potatoes yeah well you gotta choose like mine is stuffing I know some some people are <laughs> stuffing people. I'm a stuffing you, you, person. Some people just have yeah. to have the stuffing. Yeah. And there's a great there's a great range of stuffing, right? There's <laughs> like true. hard pieces of dry, crusty bread, yep, yep, and then yep. there's like this ambrosia of bread pudding kind of stuff. Yeah, and true. lots in between. It's so true. yeah, I know that they're stuffing yeah. people. I think okay. Kathy, my wife, is a stuffing person. Yeah, good for she her. She makes really good stuffing too. Print magazines, stuffing person. I feel like we'd be friends already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what? Is, this one's fun. What is something that you do not like doing, but you have to do it anyway? Well. I suppose, uh, you know, I, we, 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 um, we bought a cabin, um, on Flathead Lake last year. That is a 1928, um, Adirondack cabin that is in the middle of a group of houses that are really old. Mm -hmm. So it's, you talk about time travel coming into this room, it's time travel going there. Yeah. Uh, and there's not very many places still like that on Flathead Lake. Mm-hmm. It's a little south of Lakeside. Oh, cool. And, um, I, and I love going there and it's a beautiful view and there's an emotional feeling because I grew up in the Flathead. Um, but, uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And, uh, in early August, I spent two hours scooping goose poop off the dock. Oh. I did not enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wore a mask but I didn't wear it tight enough. Yeah. And there was like airborne particles and oh, I was yeah. dealing with that. Oh, and that's awful. So some hard, <laughs> some work that I do up there I like. Yeah. Scooping goose poop, um, I could do without. Pass. There's got to be like a somebody who does that for and gets paid really well. <laughs> like <laughs> a seasonal be. goose should poop be paid scooper. Very well. Actually, yeah. I looked online to research <laughs> that and there are companies, but they gravitate to the Great Lakes region. Oh, okay. Where, where they have where they have, you know, tens of thousands of people with goose poop problems. That's fair. That's fair. That's a, that's a great answer. I don't know if I'll ever get that answer again. Um, okay. We'll, we'll fire through these cause we're going a little bit more than I told you we would, but if you could give a little piece of advice to your younger self, just from today, what would you say? Calm down. Okay. I like that. Why calm down? Cause life's a marathon, not a hundred yard dash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good to hustle Mm -hmm. and it's good to, you know, realize that the energy that you put into your life and your career early on gives you momentum throughout your life. Uh, But, you know, there's also a lot to be said for um, pacing yourself Mm -hmm. and realizing that there's a lot of time to do the things that you want to do and um and uh it's just good to pace yourself yeah yeah just calm down i'm gonna take that with me that's good it's short and simple and i can remember it what who's one person in your life who has greatly inspired you and in what ways well you asked me um when i was a kid if I was into justice and, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I said, no, I wasn't. And that's, and that's true. I, you know, I was like any other kid. I didn't think about such things, but 
um, you know, I was inspired by my dad and my grandfather and what I thought that they uh, were contributing to society. And, you know, I looked up to them and I wanted to be able to make a contribution to, you know, out in the greater world. You know, I one time I didn't show up. Uh, at the end of the day and I was out on the lake and it was dark and it was winter. Uh, we were out on the ice, me and a friend mm-hmm. and my parents got scared yeah. and I had a time I was supposed to be home and I didn't come home and uh, my punishment was they made me read John F. Kennedy's Profiles in Courage and write a report on it, a book report on it. <laughs> And, um, and maybe because I was just trying to prove to them that their punishment wasn't so bad. Yeah. Um, or I've maybe, been there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said, wow, Hey, this is a really good book, you guys. And I became a big fan of John F. Kennedy. That was also, I think, um, probably a hero of mine when I was growing mm-hmm. up. And, um, I don't know if you'd call it a hero, but I'm a longtime Bruce Springsteen fan. Yeah. Oh, so is my stepfather like big time. Yeah. Yeah. How cool. I mean, he's great. And he's only, in my opinion, gotten greater as he's gone along. Yeah, I, love, I love his new stuff. But. You know, the, yeah, the, um, the other people who are performing at his age, uh, you know, are mostly performing stuff that they created back when they were in their 20s and yep. early 30s. Uh, and he just keeps creating and yeah. he keeps evolving with America. Yep. And uh, keeps reflecting what's happening in our country in his songs. And um, I think he's really, truly, you know, a cultural historian Mm -hmm. uh, who, you know, has chronicled Mm -hmm. our country as we've gone through everything from Vietnam to September 11th Mm -hmm. to the Great Recession. and uh, the culture wars that we're dealing with now. And, you know, he has, um, he's been there the whole time. Mm -hmm. And he just keeps creating content for us to listen to and think about. And uh, so my hat's off to him. Yeah. And he does it in such a personal way, too. I feel like that's the really accessible part. Well, you mentioned stories. Mm -hmm. And a lot of his songs tell stories. Yep. Like so many good songwriters. and Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, last one. And because this is a parenting podcast, guess what it has to do with? Um, what is one lesson that parenting has taught you that you'll never forget? Oh, boy. Just have faith in the ability of your children to become who they should be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we work hard to be engaged as parents uh, and to try to follow that love and discipline mantra and to be there to cheer for them uh, and encourage them and make things available to them, uh, but tried not to steer them Mm -hmm. uh, to one thing or another. And, you know, I, I just am so incredibly impressed with the young women that they are Mm -hmm. and each of them is unique and each of them is a person that nobody else I know is and um, so I think uh, you know having having faith uh, that if you provide those basic ingredients that young person will become the person that they should be Mm -hmm. great answer I love it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, just, uh, you know, call them, in as I, call them as I see them. Yeah, that's great. Good. Well, thank you so much for being here today and for everything you've done, not only for us as an organization, but that just for our state and for people who need help all over. Thank you, Claire. Mother Love is hosted by Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies, the Montana Coalition, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the health and well-being of families who are expecting or raising little ones. Opinions and views expressed in these interviews do not necessarily represent the views of HMHB as an organization. We sincerely value the lived experiences shared on Mother Love, and we understand that not everyone will agree with or relate to all of what is shared. Mother Love exists to help our guests and listeners honor and embrace their own stories and experiences. 
If the content in this episode has caused you concern or distress, please reach out to someone you trust for support. Speaking up about our struggles is half the battle, sometimes more than half, and there are many providers who can and want to help. Visit our statewide online resource guide at www.hmhb-lifts.org to help you find resources in your area. Thank you to our incredible editor and producer, Brooke Boone Miller, for sharing her gifts with us. She's a mom and she gets it. And for that, we are so grateful. 